This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. We're so glad you're hanging out with us here on a Wednesday drive. Thank goodness the Charlotte Hornets season's finally over. There's not a lot to say about last night, is there? This team was out of gas, wanted to go home, and lost its sixth straight game to close out the 2020-2021 season. Now comes the good stuff, because as far as I can remember, this offseason is going to be the most exciting summer, I think, in the history of the Charlotte Hornets franchise. In terms of offseasons, that's mostly a product of the Hornets having a legitimate, respected, almost ready-for-primetime duo in LaMelo and Bridges, a combination that reminds me of something we saw with Lob City a decade ago in Los Angeles, one of the league's best passers and Chris Paul with the best in-game dunker at that time and Blake Griffin. I think Bridges is the best in-game dunker. Just ask Eric Collins, who it seems like on a night-to-night basis is given a heart attack by what uh, Miles does to the rim. And LaMelo is a potential transcendent superstar talent that I think is going to put Charlotte on the map in a way we only see we only saw before with Cam Newton coming into the Panthers organization and really becoming an icon for the North Carolina sports scene. This was James Borrego, in his exit interview earlier today, his exit press conference, talking about LaMelo's growth specifically. The kid is hungry. He's receptive. He's coachable. Uh, He's got a knack for the game. He's got the intangibles that you can't teach. The pieces that we need to work with are very coachable. And throughout our program, we have a history of guys getting better, you know, in the offseason taking a step forward, and I expect Melo to do the same. It was really remarkable. Without the G League, without having played competitive basketball for close to a year, he stepped into a man's league ready to go, and I expect him to win the NBA Rookie of the Year. But it's not just LaMelo and Miles. They're surrounded by borderline all-star talents in Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier. Rozier... I was surprised didn't make one of those teams given the numbers and how impactful he was for Charlotte. Gordon, what a great signing that was. Now you got to make a decision on Devontae versus Malik Monk. I don't think you're going to bring both those players back. I think a reason Charlotte traded the deadline for Brad Wanamaker as a backup point guard was with the expectation they were going to have LaMelo take over the team. Brad probably back on a cheaper contract than Devontae as the backup point guard, and they're going to prioritize Malik Monk for his wing abilities and somebody you can bring off the bench for energy and some scoring. But we'll see what they do. Charlotte, they have flexibility. When's the last time we've been able to say that? Charlotte's been in salary cap hell that Rich Cho put them in for the last handful of years. It's the first time Mitch is actually going to have some flexibility to cook. They're going to get out of the awful Cody Zeller contact. And there's minimized damage on the salary cap situation from Batum's contract, considering how they 
handled that, bringing in Gordon Hayward and deciding to defer that money a bit. I trust Mitch to find gems to address the center issue. I don't think Zeller and Bismack are going to be back. I think you're looking at James Johnson, potentially. Charlotte Kidd coming home. Wake Forest product. Kelly Olenek. He might be a bit pricier. Maybe a P.J. Tucker for his scoring, bringing in a veteran when it hurt. Robin Lopez, he's going to be a free agent. He gave Charlotte some issues on Sunday. Plus, don't forget about the draft. Unlike last year, this coming draft, it's deep. There's a lot of talent. Charlotte, losing in the play-in game last night, pretty much has them in the 11th spot in the draft. They're going to be picking 11th. There's a 77% chance that's the case. A 13% chance they'd be picking 12th, so one spot back. So a 90% chance they're either picking 11th or 12th. Let's assume that's where they're picking and they don't hit, in the miracle situation, the number one pick. Unlike last year, you're going to get a great player at number 11 and 12. And how great has Mitch been with the draft? 2018, his first draft, Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham. 2019, P.J. Washington, the Martins, and Jalen McDaniel. How about LaMelo Ball last year? The guy doesn't miss. And this is a really talented draft. I don't think a guy like Scotty Barnes is going to fall to you at number 12. But getting some size, maybe a center, maybe a another, another shooter to add in there, I don't know. To replace Devontae Grant, there are a lot of options for Charlotte, and I think they have the right guy in place to make those decisions. Now that they got cap space, it's exciting. I think it's the most exciting Hornets offseason ever. The biggest question, though, the broader question to ask surrounding this team is the money situation paired with LaMelo's pass-first mindset, something that's garnering a lot of attention across the league and a lot of praise. Is that enough to attract free agents? Gordon signed here. You had to pay him a buttload of money to do so. An overpay, probably. Terry Rozier, you gave him a lot of money. You chose him over Kimba. That was the right decision by Mitch. Are you going to be able to add somebody else? Do we have the clip here of James Borrego being asked this earlier today at his exit? interview because I felt this was a pretty compelling question and if Charlotte's able to bring in somebody kind of like when the Pelicans drafted Zion JJ Redick a veteran of his quality felt yeah that's a guy I want to pair up with that would be such an enormous boost for this Hornets organization this was JB earlier I clearly think when players watch us and coaches watch us and, you know, when you look at our system, our style and our, our roster, this is an attractive organization. And you look back to, to last year with Gordon, uh, there's, there's no doubt in my man, my mind uh, will be attractive this summer moving forward. If you have thoughts on the Hornets season ending, now that it's a post-mortem and we're looking ahead to the offseason and 2021-2022. Your thoughts welcome, 336-777-1600. You are listening to The Drive with Josh Graham. That's me on WSJS Sports. Let's go to Wayne in Greensboro. 
Wayne, last night wasn't great. Bad effort defensively for the Hornets. I'd yeah, argue probably their worst. I admit that. But how um, do you feel about the Hornets going into the offseason now? I'm, I'm excited about what they can do. I, I think it's important for Hornet fans to remember that their season essentially was over when Gordon Hayward got hurt. Let's not forget he his final stats are going to be 19.5 points per game, six rebounds, five assists. He shot 47% from the field. And believe it or not, he was the best three-point shooter at 41.5. You can't replace those kind of numbers. They'll be back next year. Uh, this offseason, I kind of disagree with you. I would let Malik Monk go. He's restricted free So agent. you would prioritize Graham over Monk if you had to choose between the two? Yes, I would. Okay. Point guards are hard to find. Monk is uh, is a shooter, but you can find shooters at a at cheaper price. The question I have for you, looking forward, maybe not this offseason, but at some point don't you have to come to the realization that P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges have the same exact skill set and that one is is probably needs to be traded. I'd like to see him traded this offseason, Washington, to get a quality starting center that's already shown what he can do. It's a, it's a wonderful question, and I appreciate the call, Wayne. As soon as they drafted P.J., this is a question I began to have. I think P.J.'s a little bit better of a shooter than Miles, but you saw, I think especially on the back end of the season without Gordon in the lineup, more of an emphasis on Miles shooting the ball, and he had really he hit some really big shots down the stretches of games. I think you're right. I think they probably should move P.J. Washington. I don't know if it's going to happen in the offseason. It depends how things fall. Because when I look at this group here, Robert, when I see, as I mentioned, the top centers slash power forwards Charlotte can bring in to kind of bolster things in the post, Johnson, Olenek, P.J. Tucker, it's a lot of power forwards, not a lot of centers. The only center I said was Robin Lopez. So if you're looking to bring in a center, well, you have the cap space to afford somebody. And P.J. Washington's a player I think some teams would be interested in taking on, taking a chance on that guy. There's some real value there. So I'm with Wayne. I think Charlotte would be wise to move P.J. Not Miles, because... Miles has become this star, and I think that's the guy you want to keep long-term, even though he's a little bit older and has fewer years remaining on his rookie contract. But I think Miles is the guy, not P.J. And to your point about waiting and seeing how things play out, there's a there's a couple guys that I really like with uh, player options, one of them being Serge Ibaka. Mm. Well, with the Clippers uh, kind of being in flux where if uh, Kawhi Leonard leaves and he doesn't stay with them as he's got another option – I think they could potentially blow it up and you could see Serge go out. And I think he would fit in perfectly because they kind of need somebody to play in the paint, be able to guard the rim, and he's a former defensive player of the year. I think he would fit in nicely. He would. I see some people throwing out Montrez Harrell. To that I would say small ball center when he's really a power forward. 
not a lot of defensive help you're getting there. If you're going to go that way, I would almost just say screw it and sign Hassan Whiteside <laughs> and get another shot blocker, a guy who's going to help you in the paint. Because you have scores. That's a hard pass for me. Fun stuff, though. I asked this question to Robert earlier. If he knew a guy in high school that was this homecoming king or bully that today probably isn't as brash given that he's probably a Wendy's manager, maybe not at a high school reunion, but you follow people on Facebook nowadays. Do we still need the high school reunions anymore if you can still follow everybody on Facebook and see what they're up to now? I think they're still pretty popular just because getting together is totally different than um, seeing each other on Facebook. But with that being said, I don't know if I'd attend mine, but I would accept an invitation. The point I'm making, it's not nice to feel this way, but it's perfectly human to think karma. You were a jerk in high school. Look what happened to you now. You hate to see it. That's how I think the football world's looking at Urban Meyer right now. To me, it seems like a large portion of the football world wants to see that guy fail because we have a history with him. A lot of stuff not great when you consider the countless off-field issues at Florida with players, the controversy with the wide receivers coach at Columbus that led to him getting suspended for two games. But as all that happened, not a lot of losing. Nine losses in eight years in Columbus. So there are some people out there who have just been waiting for this opportunity for him to finally get hit get his and uh be there enjoying watching it as it happens because he's gonna lose in Jacksonville especially initially the question is will he win in the long term I happen to believe in it I'm actually rooting for the Jags because it's an interesting story with Urban and Trevor Lawrence, and I happen to like Travis Etienne a lot and other guys on this Jaguar team, how can you really hate the Jacksonville Jaguars? Well, Urban's making it pretty easy for some to hate the Jags. When he brings in this strength coach, he's not really used to being challenged on things. A guy with a terrible background, we're like, why is Urban his first priority to bring this dude in? It lasted one day before he parted ways with that guy. He signed Tim Tebow last week. I didn't have that much of an issue with it. If he makes the 53-man roster, then we could start looking at decisions the Jags made, what, who they prioritized Tebow over. And beyond that, how about this past weekend? Rookie minicamp, a lot of eyes on Urban Meyer running camp for the first time in a long time since he was in college, first in the NFL, and he's putting... His first round running back, Travis Etienne, exclusively at wide receiver. That's led people to say, does this guy know what he's doing? Does he know how things are run in the NFL? Is he going to run it the right way? Fair questions. I, I think Urban's a smart guy. I think he knows what he has in Travis Etienne running the football. So I'm not going to overgrade on that the same way some might have overgraded Cliff Kingsbury going into his first season giving players apparently phone breaks during meetings as if this is high school recess or high school you don't get recess in high school what am I talking about high school lunch it all goes back to high school a large portion of the football world they've been waiting for this 
Urban didn't lose in college. He's going to lose, especially early on in Jacksonville. Pay attention to those who might be enjoying the Jaguars losing a little bit too much. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves writing sports poetry, but he can't think of a rhyme for puck. Oh, I get it. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Today is the start of training camp in High Point for the High Point Rockers. They'll open their season next week. And to talk about the Rockers and what's going on in independent league baseball and also in the bigs is Logan Morrison, who joins us now, 11-year big leaguer who's been in a number of organizations, now a High Point Rocker. Logan, appreciate the time in the triad. How's High Point treating you? Uh, right now, the weather's amazing. Not bad at all, man. Actually chilling poolside and catching some rays after a day at the field and got some dinner at Publix uh, to cook later. Just, you know, trying to get my bearings and having a good time doing it. Yeah, I know your dad spent some time in the state of North Carolina, so it's good to have you here in the triad. And while I'm thinking about your story and what's going on in baseball, really, I actually go back to two White Sox managers. Because when I think of Ozzie Guillen, I think Chicago first. But then when I look at your background, I saw you were a member once upon a time on that 2012 Marlins team that was packed full of a ton of talent and great personalities too, like Jose Reyes and Mark Burley. And of course, Guillen was the manager for that one year. Heath Bell was on that team, I think, going into that yep. new stadium. What's a good Aussie story you have for us? Oh, man. Um, a lot of them, I, I guess. Uh, put me on the spot here. What's his personality uh, like as a manager? Have you seen anything else like it in your years with baseball? You've been around a lot of managers. No, no, I haven't. He's he's one of a kind. He's you know what he the one thing I'll tell you about Ozzy is that he always had his players back, man. He was full of energy, full of passion. What you see is what you get. Um, any interview he does is pretty much how he is in the clubhouse. Uh, a lot of expletives. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he, he really he really does have a passion for the game and passion to win and that's what I enjoyed about him. I find it interesting, the first thing you said there, he always has his players back because that had me thinking about today where White Sox manager Tony La Russa is under fire because Yerman Mercedes hit a home run on a 3-0 pitch against a position player in a 10-run game. And publicly, La Russa said there would be punishment for that and it didn't seem like he really backed his guy last night. As a veteran baseball player, did you have issue with what Mercedes did earlier this week? Uh, no, you know what I did think, though, is that, like, oh, somebody's going to have a problem with this. And I think he got thrown at the next night, but... Last night, um, yeah. yeah. last night. And so, like, dude, I mean, all these unwritten rules in baseball, they're kind of going to the wayside. Um, I think eventually people will stop taking issue to it. Uh, the game is so driven by stats now that, for me, it's like, I... I because I am still kind of like old school, like I would have a problem swinging at that pitch because if I popped it up, I'm not going to be very happy. I'd rather try to, you know, maybe have another chance for another pitch to, get, to work a walk or whatever that may be. Um, and then plus, like position players, like in my opinion, like Yerman's awesome. Like be able to take a hack like that on a 3-0 pitch and hit it over the fence, that's, 
that's pretty hard to do. And uh, what people don't realize is 74 miles an hour isn't, isn't really exactly hard, easy to hit out of a uh, baseball field. It's uh, you know kind of the harder it goes in, the harder it goes out. Well, the slower it comes in, the slower it goes out. So he had to score that thing up and. A good sling, man. I really like that, that kid as a player. A lot of people like him around here as well because, of course, the White Sox Farm League team, uh, the Winston-Salem Dash, one of their Farm League teams right here in our backyard, and Yerman was one of those players who came across the triad before making it to the majors. You said that eh, baseball's changing, the mindsets are changing. In the next five to ten years, do you think our sensibilities on things like this are going to shift so much that we're not even talking about bat flipping being an issue for example yeah i mean i don't know exactly when it's going to happen but you know all those things kind of go to the wayside they're, they're starting to fall off and people want to be entertained and i think that's just part of entertainment now first and foremost i think as a baseball player you're a competitor but then secondly you're an entertainer and that's basically what you get paid for is put people in the seats and um you know draw excitement to the game and all those kind of things kind of do that. I know you're going to put some butts in seats in High Point. High Point Rockers, first baseman Logan Morrison with us here. The Rockers starting training camp today. Their season begins next week. And while we're talking about changes, what interests you as a hitter about what the independent league's doing and experimenting with moving the mound back a little bit for the second half of this season? Uh, you know, I don't really give it much thought. I'm not even sure that they're 100% on that. Um, but if it happens, it happens. It'll be an adjustment everybody's going to have to make, pitchers and hitters included. Um, for me, my mindset's not going to change. It's going to be get a pitch to, uh, to drive and do damage with it. Um, you know, I, I think, I guess, if I'm thinking about any of this kind of stuff, it's my experience or lack of, of experience with the electronic strike zone and see how that kind of plays. But other than that, man, it's just, you know, Take care of your business, do your work, and go out and have fun. Talking about going out and having fun, have you been able to experiment much in the culinary arts around here at all? I mean, hey, North Carolina's known for a lot of things, a lot of stuff you could put in your belly. I don't know if you've tried anything. Yeah, so my dad, uh, you said that he had spent some time in North Carolina, but actually spent, like, I think six years or so in Wilmington, North Carolina when I was younger, childhood. Um, and then moved away. Dad was in the military uh, back to Kansas City, but was able to get some Carolina barbecue brand and all that kind of stuff. And I actually played in Greensboro when I was uh, 19 and back in 2007. Long time ago, but so I know a little bit about it, um, but looking forward to getting more in. I, I enjoy it here. I really do. And being able to be up here the month we are, it's definitely a good season and looking forward to everything it has to offer. Slaw or no slaw? Oh, slaw, baby. Okay, I'm not a slaw guy, but I understand those who like the slaw. Logan Morrison, great stuff from him as always. Best of luck with the Rockers, and we hope we can catch up somewhere down the line, buddy. All right, Josh, have a good one. You got it. Robert, don't you want to go to that pool party it sounds like he's having over there? Oh, my God, and he's a good-looking dude, so you know he's got a, an entourage you, with him. You, I could tell. See, there's some behind-the-scenes radio stuff going on there where Robert is – Every time I'm asking a question, he's turning down his microphone there because there's just so much going on behind the scenes. It sounds like Logan Morrison's enjoying enjoying the triad. It, yeah, that's probably not the only thing he picked up from Publix was stuff for dinner, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs>
it's not a great transition to this story, but it is a transition. I want to revisit something that was on the big four earlier today, where in Asia, a groom went missing. I don't think this is one of those arranged marriages, but it probably was um, because even though the groom wasn't there, the family of the bride decided, nah, let's not let this wedding go to waste. Let's have the bride marry one of the wedding guests on the groom's side. And the bride went along with it, was completely cool with it. And they had the wedding. So people went to this wedding expecting one thing to happen. The groom did not show up and apparently intentionally so did not show up. And the bride, you know, got married to somebody else that she didn't expect she was going to get married to that day. Robert is suspicious about this, as Robert generally is. He's a cynic. And that's what I like about Robert in some ways, because you're not going to pull a a quick one on Robert and tell me, oh, I don't know where my husband's at. I'm just going to get married to someone else when probably there's more going on behind the scenes. Do I have your feelings on that correct? Uh, yeah, because, like, she was just uh, so confident, like, oh, yeah, you're right, all our friends are here, we might as well get married, I'm gonna pick, uh, you, friend of my soon-to-be husband who can't be found now. Like, that's just sketchy. That's sketchy business. How do you make sure the ring's gonna fit him? Don't you have to get the ring sized, right? Do all men have the same size finger? So I'm looking to get married. I got engaged in the last month, and I said... This is my this is straight from one of my nightmares where for whatever reason I'm not at my wedding and Sarah Bradford decides I'm just going to marry someone at the wedding on Josh's side here how about I choose Darren <laughs> because Darren people have joked for the last 5 years I don't know how much of a joke Darren is. is just the better looking version of me see if you can get Darren on the phone I know you got Darren's number We'll just see if we can hash this one out very quickly. I actually don't. You think Sarah Bradford has this number? You think she could send it to me real quick? <laughs> so, Robert, when we first were talking about this story, he his response was, oh, you think that she's going to get married to your brother? And I said, no, she's not interested in my brother. She hit me with the text, listening to that segment, Robert, saying, yep, definitely not marrying your brother. So I responded, and again, this is like over an hour and a half ago. I responded with the text in all caps, Robert, saying, but what about Darren? (laughs) Then some weird business happened here, and I think this is where we can get into text decorum on some things, where I saw that she read the text, no response to it. And then an hour later, she hit me with a ha-ha. But actually, it was more the, the like post of the ha-ha. So I think, I think we need to figure this out. Do we have Darren on the line? What are we going to call this segment, Robert? We have Blaring with Darren. We've got... I think this should be wife sharing with Darren. Wife sharing with Darren. So Darren's been briefed on what's happening here. Uh, Darren, how many people have told you you're a better looking version of me? Um, well, I think 
it, it started, I don't even remember who said it first, but someone in the context of on your show said it. So, uh, you know, people, people took it from there. I don't know that there have been that many independent instances, but, you know, it, it, it has become a thing, yeah. How uncomfortable does it make you? Uh, I mean, look, man, like, you get told you're a good-looking person enough, it's it, like, sure, I get it. It's fine. We're both super white and wear, wear glasses that are somewhat trendy. Sure, I get it. Working radio. Right. I mean, it's just we're similar in, in some ways, and I get it. I get it. I, guess, uh, I don't know that it makes me uncomfortable. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I feel like it's not even that Darren looks like a better you, Josh. I think it's almost like an evolution thing. Like, you're the Pikachu, <laughs> and Darren is the Raichu. Like, you're the Charmander, and he's the... Uh, Charizard? Charizard. Yeah, exactly. You get it. See? Like, it's not like you're ugly. You're just... I guess what I'm saying here is, back off, Darren. That's what I'm saying. At the wedding, I'm inviting Darren to the wedding. Actually, the next minute or two is going to decide whether or not Darren gets an invitation to the wedding. What I'm saying is, back off. To reiterate, that's what I'm saying here. Darren Vaught. Sure. (laughs) Darren, just just, uh, uh, for instance, uh, if you did have to go through with this and marry uh, Sarah Bradford, do you know what your first dance would be? And the hypothetical is in India that apparently a groom didn't show up to the wedding and then the bride decided just to marry someone from the groom's side, a wedding guest, at the wedding, uh, they had the ceremony. So what I'm saying is you would not follow through on this, right? No. No, no, no. I mean, look, man, you know me. I don't, I, don't even, I don't know what the hell I want. You two seem like you're on the same page. That's great. You guys can go forth in a life together. I, you know, I don't want to drag her into this. I'm a wreck. Ah, come on, man. I think misery business would be great. You got him right where you want him. <laughs> I was going to suggest, knowing that Sarah Bradford is a UVA grad, uh, Dave Matthews, and we'll just we'll just yuck it up with some. Oh, Aunt that's Martin so thoughtful of you, Darren. You're always thinking ahead. Oh, that is oh, so cute. I oh. cannot wait for this wedding. All right, this is going to be great. <laughs> there, there's going to be. This is going to be fun. Can't wait for that. A year and uh, a month from the day. Darren Vaught, appreciate the time, buddy. I, I'm sorry for putting you in this awkward circumstance. Actually, real quick, before we let you go, in yeah. 15 seconds, sum up Tony LaRussa and Yerman Mer- uh, Mercedes. Uh, t- Tony's old and doesn't get it. <laughs> there you go. That's pretty well put. Thanks, buddy. Yep. See you guys. That's Darren Vaught, the better-looking version of me. The <laughs> The Charizard to my Charmander. Who would it be for Bulbasaur? I don't even know. Uh, Venusaur. Oh. Darren would have a big plant on his back, and you would just have like a little bulb. <laughs> Am I wrong about this text exchange here where she <sighs> she just says, yeah, not marrying my brother, but then I ask about Darren, no response, but then an hour later after she read it, does the like ha-ha option? <laughs> <laughs> But she didn't answer no. She didn't answer the question. I I think tonight when you're having those leftover tacos. Awkward conversation. And you're just going to bring it up to her and be like, oh, yeah. So uh, you never really gave me a uh, straightforward answer. Yeah, you were answer. just kidding, right? 
Yeah, I'm going to need you to tell me that you wouldn't marry Darren if I didn't show up. <laughs> of course. No, I need you to say those words <laughs> to me. And I need you to say it on a recording so I can play it on my radio and, show. Uh, <laughs> and also, can you write this? I need a written agreement. We need it in writing as well. Okay. And I need you to say that baseball sucks, Darren. <laughs> yeah. I listened to the USA Baseball podcast and it left very much to be desired. I could never be with Darren. I love the drive with Josh Graham. Yeah. That is the phrase I need you to say. That is a much better, it is a superior <laughs> radio program. Your jawline is a lot better <laughs> than Darren. Yeah, you, and, I, and Josh never has glasses face. Tell me that. You're like making her say everything you wanted to <laughs> say. That's unreal. Oh, oh, before we get to take it to the house, we don't know if Forbes is going to be one of the siren sounders tonight, but the Hurricanes announced who the first siren sounder is going to be. Petey Pobbs. Oh, wow. Eastern North Carolina's finest Petey Pobbs going to be doing the Hurricane siren tonight. Do you think he's heard Darren's remix? I mean, not Darren. um, Stop talking about Darren. I know I've got Darren on the brain, man. Not Darren. (laughs) Unbelievable. Permar. He might have. He might have. So we'll see Petey Pablo in the building later on tonight at PNC Arena. Here comes the life of the party. The Drive. Corrupting the minds and the hearts of our children. With Josh Graham. Program for low expectations. On Sports Hub Triad. Woo! Okay, I want to talk baseball with our next guy, given that he's in Chicago and there's a lot going on with Tony La Russa and the White Sox. But since Fox Sports play-by-play man Adam Amin doubles as the TV play-by-play voice of the Chicago Bulls as well, I think we need to start with the biggest headline today that, quite frankly, <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't even lead the show with. Kobe White got a haircut. Oh, my God. Kobe White whose hair was magnificent in Chapel Hill and also in Chicago. Got a haircut. Adam, I mean your thoughts. I mean, uh, let me first say this. It looks good. The man the man wears the, the cut very well. He's a good-looking guy. I, 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 he's a good-looking kid. Big, big, the, the, the cut looks very, very sharp. I already miss it. I already miss, because I, I thought... <laughs> The, the fro was a great look. He, 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 as we said, he, he looks good in the fro, too. But I really dug the, the pull-back look this year. I thought it was like it spoke to like his development and kind of like maturity. And I guess this does, too. It's like the next step. But it's just, I already miss it, man. It's just, we don't talk about it. I, we never once talked about Kobe's hair really on the air. We don't really care. You know, it's just, it's, we just know inherently that it looks good. So we just enjoy enjoy it while it's there. So it's a little bit jarring, but hey, man, it's a, it's another step in like the maturity and the development process. I got a haircut the other day, Josh. I can't I can't judge the man. Robert is just despondent over there because he only gets a haircut once or twice a year. He has a long flow of hair, different style than Kobe. But Robert, <laughs> how you feeling over there, buddy? How are you processing this? It's just hard seeing somebody who's been through the same thing. Our, our hair is like we're almost hair brothers. Like I wish mine looked that good all the time. His looks like 
always so well kept, always so perfectly round, but mine, on the other hand, not so great. May he's got me contemplating a haircut now, too. Tough. Just really is. Adam Amin's with us here, staying in the NBA. When we look at the Eastern Conference this year, the two teams that I think had the biggest leap, the Atlanta Hawks and the New York Knicks, who are facing each other in the first round. You're the voice of a team I think that's in pretty good position to take a leap next year, given the addition of Vucevic and maybe some some alterations during the offseason. And I think the other team I'd look at is the Charlotte Hornets, considering Mm -hmm. LaMelo's in place, Miles is in place. You also have the likes of Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier coming back. When you look at the Hornets, though, they have money to spend, too. I think they're 12th in salary cap space going into the offseason. Is LaMelo the type of player, the type of talent as a pass-first point guard you think that might actually attract some free agents? Not top-level guys, but players saying, yeah, that could be a good guy to pair myself with. I think there's a possibility for that, certainly. Because, again, and, and remember, this was an attractive place before that, too. Like, you don't get a Terry Rozier unless you... You, you have some kind of pitch. And again, Michael Jordan being the owner, that is a heck of a pitch to have. So to have that as an element, I think is huge for the Hornets. They, and that alone, even if you didn't have LaMelo Ball, though if you didn't have LaMelo Ball, I don't know what the season would look like. So I, I think those things in concert with one another already have a pretty good pitch to them. I think some, and again, it's going to time out okay because the free agent class of next year is very strong. I get the sense that it could also time out well to where when you get that free agent class available and LaMelo, if he has another great year as a sophomore, I, I think Charlotte becomes a very attractive def- destination all of a sudden. And there's a lot more that you can pitch. They're going to have a lot of money off the books if they don't re-sign Zeller. I don't know what P.J. Washington's contract situation is. That might be a good role player to keep around, uh, although he made a really nice shooting jump this year and, and he might have some offers out there. I, I feel like there are a lot of good core pieces in place with Charlotte right now. I was impressed that I called, obviously, the three games against the Bulls, but I also had them a couple times away from that with, with my national stuff where I got a chance to see them against other teams, and I was really impressed. I walked away impressed. I, I think they're on a similar trajectory as the Bulls. I think the Bulls have done the right things, as you said, Josh, to bring in a second All-Star. Obviously, to have the Levine be an All-Star, uh, as he made that individual jump, and then to have uh, a second join him in Vucevic. I think having that, having Patrick Williams have the season that he had, not to the to the caliber necessarily of Rookie of the Year, but he made some huge impacts this season defensively and offensively. Uh, to have a veteran like Thaddeus Young potentially coming back, to have some cap space freed up not only for this year, but to potentially put a lot of money on the table the following year, whether it's through Zach Levine, through one of those other big free agents or a combination of those things. I, and you still have team-friendly deals because Kobe White's under contract for another couple of years. So I, I think all of these things that we're talking about with Charlotte and with Chicago, I think are both in, in very parallel trajectories. And I think that's good. Th- that's a good thing for both markets right now. I don't know if I count Atlanta because they They've spent, they, they had a lot of salary cap room last year, but they spent a lot of that. I don't know how much flexibility they'll have 
But I still think they made a really nice jump, obviously, with Young and Collins and Bogdanovich had a fantastic year. So uh, it's going to be continue to be jumbled in the East, and I think the depth has been better this year, and I think it will continue to be. Long answer there, Josh, I know. Adam Amin's with us here. Uh, we've got Golden State and the Lakers tonight. And I this is an opinion I had. I was thinking about this all throughout the morning and didn't really feel confident enough to go on air with it that – Golden State was going to win tonight after feeling the last few days that the Lakers are going to win. But as soon as I saw Haberstroh say that he felt the Warriors were going to win, I felt a little bit better about that since he's the nerd and he's a huge Wake Forest guy as well. I think Golden State's going to win in a one-game sample. It's their season. I think they have the best player on the floor tonight given the injury status of LeBron James and that ankle and Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis is still trying to get back to 100% as well. Would it surprise Adam Amin if Golden State won this one-game sample? No. God, gosh, no. Not, not with how they played in, in the second half, not with how, how hot Curry's been. I, I think there's also cushion for both of these teams, and, and I think Golden State is better served in a one-game, let's hope Steph Curry gets hot type of situation, whereas I think the Lakers are an exceptionally good adjusting team on the defensive end when they're healthy. So... I think they proved that last year, game to game to game, that they know how to make adjustments defensively, and they have a lot of really good defensive personnel, again, if LeBron James is healthy. So I think the, all of the, the leanings go towards Golden State based on these parameters. Now, again, if Steph Curry has in, in a rare off-shooting night, which is never out of the realm of possibility for any NBA player, then we're talking about a different story. But if all things are considered based on par, it's hard for me to go against Golden State based on these parameters that we've laid out. So I'm, I'm excited to watch it. Obviously, the, the historics, the, the connectivity between Steph and LeBron, the Cavaliers-Warriors series, you know, the mid-2010s, uh, like those, those are still lingering. And I feel like, uh, uh, I feel like there's going to be a ton of juice in the building. So I'm excited to watch Adam it. Adam Amin's with us here. The next time you could watch him, Saturday, baseball on Fox. Who do you got on Saturday? Got the little Phillies Red Sox on Saturday Ooh. night from, from Philadelphia. That's, so that's uh, right. top teams in their divisions right now. Boston's played about as well as anybody in baseball, despite not having a uh, rock-solid rotation. And the Phillies have figured a lot of things out. But now the injury bug's starting to bite them a little bit. Since you live in Chicago, see, Winston-Salem is a farm club city for the Chicago White Sox. And we love Benetti because he spent time at Wake Forest, of course. What do you make of this drama this week and how Tony La Russa went so public and talking about how much he didn't like Yerman Mercedes swinging on a 3-0 pitch for a home run in a 10-run game? I talked about this with some, some of my friends yesterday. And I'm not upset at Tony La Russa per se because... What did you think was going to happen? Like, like this is, these are exactly the speed bumps that were predicted before the season. He's not going to look eye to eye about celebrating. He's not going to look eye to eye with with young this young team, this young swaggy, fun, cocksure, confident team. He's not going to see eye to eye with them and how they operate and and when they swim. Like, you knew this stuff was going to happen. He doesn't know the rules fully. He didn't. He didn't know the the, the twenty second challenge rule. Was you know it went from thirty to twenty. He didn't know about the the extra inning runner rule. There's a lot of issues leaving pitchers out too long. These are the speed bumps that you knew were going to take place. So I'm not really like, can you believe Tony Larusa thinks this way? 
I am upset about the concept. The concept of you can't swing 3-0. The unwritten rule says, which, again, the irony of that sentence alone is enough to make you want to fling yourself off a roof, but the unwritten rules say you can't swing 3-0 in a 9 run. Dude, why are we having still having these conversations other than it's the old way we've always done or it's the old way to do it. I don't know how long it's going to take, and I don't think it's going to, it's going to happen relatively soon because you got managers like Jace Tingler who had this issue with Tatis last year, and Jace is fresh in this, in this job as a manager, yet here he is kind of following the, the old ways of baseball. And I just – listen, is it going to kill my fandom? No. Is it going to kill my love for the game or the passion that I commentate uh, commentated no I love this game and I'm excited to see it evolve and I'm excited as an announcer to learn how to sell this game better because of the things that I have to study and enjoy so is it going to kill my fandom no but is it going to bore the casual fan like who likes watching your mean Mercedes who is not he's a fledgling big leaguer right now he has worked very hard to get to this point and it's not like he's making 20 mil a year this is a guy who is working for every scrap of food he is getting and is working for a real contract in the next couple of years. This the stats mean something to him. So I just don't get it. I don't get it. And I don't love the conceptualization of these unwritten rules as, a, as, a, as something that's done in practice in baseball anymore. Adam, thanks for joining us on this difficult day that Kobe White decided to cut his hair. I know it's been tough on you. And uh, I hope sometime we're able to catch up down the line. Congrats on your first season with the Bulls, buddy. Appreciate you, man. You got it. That's Adam Amin from Fox Sports. He'll be on the call for Red Sox Phillies. Saturday on Fox, you can find that. Always love catching up with, uh, with Adam. How would you describe this haircut to people who haven't seen it, Robert? Uh, very Russell Wilson-ish. Kind of got the, the curls in it where it's... Uh, Closer to his head, not so poofy, but I, I don't know. I'm very terrible with hair words. Kobe falls into the Cam Newton department where whatever he does with his hair, whatever he decides to put on, it just looks good. Hey, you know, if you're a handsome guy, I mean, Cam Newton, you saw some of the outfits. He could put a lampshade on his head and it would be the most fashionable thing possible. But the, the Kobe white hair going to be different. Moving forward, we were big fans around here in the state of North Carolina of it in Chapel Hill, and we're still big fans of Kobe White nonetheless. There are three names. Robert, the PGA Championship starts tomorrow in the Carolinas. You're looking at, uh, they're at Kiowa, Kiowa Island this week. First time they've had the PGA there since 2012. There are three. Three names I'd circle for the PGA Championship in South Carolina. I'll share those names with you next on The Drive. We're so glad you're hanging out with us here on a Wednesday drive. Thank goodness the Charlotte Hornets season's finally over. There's not a lot to say about last night, is there? This team was out of gas, wanted to go home, and lost its sixth straight game to close out the 2020-2021 season. Now comes the good stuff. Because as far as I can remember, this offseason is going to be the most exciting summer, I think, in the history of the Charlotte Hornets franchise. In terms of offseasons, that's mostly a product of 
the Hornets having a legitimate, respected, almost ready for primetime duo in LaMelo and Bridges, a combination that reminds me of something we saw with Lob City a decade ago in Los Angeles, one of the league's best passers and Chris Paul with the best in-game dunker at that time and Blake Griffin. I think Bridges is the best in-game dunker. Just ask Eric Collins, who it seems like on a night-to-night basis is given a heart attack by what uh, Miles does to the rim. And LaMelo is a potential transcendent superstar talent that I think is going to put Charlotte on the map in a way we only see we only saw before with Cam Newton coming into the Panthers organization and really becoming an icon for the North Carolina sports scene. This was James Borrego in his exit interview earlier today, his exit press conference, talking about LaMelo's growth specifically. The kid is hungry. He's receptive. He's coachable. Uh, he's got a knack for the game. He's got the intangibles that you can't teach. The pieces that we need to work with are very coachable. And throughout our program, we have a history of guys getting better, you know, in the offseason, taking a step forward. And I expect Melo to do the same. It was really remarkable. Without the G League, without having played competitive basketball for close to a year, he stepped into a man's league ready to go, and I expect him to win the NBA Rookie of the Year. But it's not just LaMelo and Miles. They're surrounded by borderline all-star talents in Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier. Rozier, I was surprised, didn't make one of those teams given the numbers and how impactful he was for Charlotte. Gordon, what a great signing that was. Now you got to make a decision on Devontae versus Malik Monk. I don't think you're going to bring both those players back. I think a reason Charlotte traded the deadline for Brad Wanamaker as a backup point guard was with the expectation they were going to have LaMelo take over the team, Brad probably back on a cheaper contract than Devontae as the backup point guard, and they're going to prioritize Malik Monk for his wing abilities and somebody you can bring off the bench for energy and some scoring. But we'll see what they do. Charlotte, they have flexibility. When's the last time we've been able to say that? Charlotte's been in salary cap hell that Rich Cho put them in for the last handful of years. It's the first time Mitch is actually going to have some flexibility to cook. They're going to get out of the awful Cody Zeller contract. And there's minimized damage on the salary cap situation from Batum's contract, considering how they handled that, bringing in Gordon Hayward and deciding to defer that money a bit. I trust Mitch to find gems to address the center issue. I don't think Zeller and Bismack are going to be back. I think you're looking at James Johnson, potentially. Charlotte Kid coming home. Wake Forest product. Kelly Olenek, he might be a bit pricier. Maybe a P.J. Tucker for his scoring, bringing in a veteran when it hurt. Robin Lopez, he's going to be a free agent. He gave Charlotte some issues on Sunday. Plus, don't forget about the draft. Unlike last year, this coming draft, it's deep. There's a lot of talent. Charlotte losing in the play-in game last night 
pretty much has them in the 11th spot in the draft. They're going to be picking 11th. There's a 77% chance that's the case. A 13% chance they'd be picking 12th, so one spot back. So a 90% chance they're either picking 11th or 12th. Let's assume that's where they're picking and they don't hit, in the miracle situation, the number one pick. Unlike last year, you're going to get a great player at number 11 and 12. And how great has Mitch been with the draft? 2018, his first draft, Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham. 2019, P.J. Washington, the Martins, and Jalen McDaniel. How about LaMelo Ball last year? The guy doesn't miss. And this is a really talented draft. I don't think a guy like Scotty Barnes is going to fall to you at number 12. But getting some size, maybe a center, maybe a another, another shooter to add in there, I don't know. To replace Devontae Grant, there are a lot of options for Charlotte, and I think they have the right guy in place to make those decisions. Now that they got cap space, it's exciting. I think it's the most exciting Hornets offseason ever. The biggest question, though, the broader question to ask surrounding this team is the money situation paired with LaMelo's pass-first mindset, something that's garnering a lot of attention across the league and a lot of praise. Is that enough to attract free agents? Gordon signed here. You had to pay him a buttload of money to do so and overpay probably. Terry Rozier, you gave him a lot of money. You chose him over Kimba. That was the right decision by Mitch. Are you going to be able to add somebody else? Do we have the clip here of James Borrego being asked this earlier today at his exit interview? Because... I felt this was a pretty compelling question. And if Charlotte's able to bring in somebody, kind of like when the Pelicans drafted Zion, J.J. Redick, a veteran of his quality, felt, yeah, that's a guy I want to pair up with. That would be such an enormous boost for this Hornets organization. This was J.B. earlier. I clearly think... When players watch us and coaches watch us and, you know, when you look at our system, our style and our, our roster, this is an attractive organization. And you look back to, to last year with Gordon, uh, there's there's no doubt in my, man, my mind uh, we'll be attractive this summer moving forward. If you have thoughts on the Hornets season ending now that it's a post-mortem and we're looking ahead to the offseason and 2021-2022. Your thoughts welcome, 336-777-1600. You are listening to The Drive with Josh Grant. That's me on WSJS Sports. Let's go to Wayne in Greensboro. Wayne, last night wasn't great. Bad effort defensively for the Hornets. I'd argue probably they're worse. I admit that. But how Um, do you feel about the Hornets going into the offseason now? I'm, I'm excited about what they can do. I think it's important for Hornet fans to remember that their season essentially was over when Gordon Hayward got hurt. Let's not forget he his final stats are going to be 19.5 points per game, six rebounds, five assists. He shot 47% from the field. And believe it or not, he was the best three-point shooter at 41.5. You can't replace those kind of numbers. They'll be back next year. Uh, this offseason, 
I kind of disagree with you. I would let Malik Monk go. He's restricted free. So you would prioritize Graham over Monk if you had to choose between the two? Yes, I would. Point guards are hard to find. Monk is uh, is a shooter, but you can find shooters at a cheaper price. The question I have for you, looking forward, maybe not this offseason, but at some point don't you have to come to the realization that P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges have the same exact skill set and that one is is probably needs to be traded. I'd like to see him traded this offseason, Washington, to get a quality starting center that's already shown what he can do. It's What's a, your thoughts on It's that? a wonderful question, and I appreciate the call, Wayne. As soon as they drafted P.J., this is a question I began to have. I think PJ's a little bit better of a shooter than Miles, but you saw, I think especially on the back end of the season without Gordon in the lineup, more of an emphasis on Miles shooting the ball, and he had really he hit some really big shots down the stretches of games. I think you're right. I think they probably should move PJ Washington. I don't know if it's going to happen in the offseason. It depends how things fall, because when I look at this group here, Robert, when I see, as I mentioned, the top centers slash power forwards Charlotte can bring in to kind of bolster things in the post, Johnson, Olenek, P.J. Tucker, it's a lot of power forwards, not a lot of centers. The only center I said was Robin Lopez. So if you're looking to bring in a center, well, you have the cap space to afford somebody, and... P.J. Washington's a player I think some teams would be interested in taking on, taking a chance on that guy. There's some real value there. So I'm with Wayne. I think Charlotte would be wise to move P.J. Not Miles, because Miles has become this star, and I think that's the guy you want to keep long-term, even though he's a little bit older and has fewer years remaining on his rookie contract but I think Miles is the guide, not PJ. And to your point about waiting and seeing how things play out, there's a there's a couple guys that I really like with uh, player options, one of them being Serge Ibaka. Mm. Well, with the Clippers uh, kind of being in flux where if uh, Kawhi Leonard leaves and he doesn't stay with them as he's got another option, I think they could potentially blow it up and you could see Serge go out. And I think he would fit in perfectly because they kind of need somebody to play in the paint, be able to – guard the rim, and he's a former defensive player of the year, I think he would fit in nicely. He would. I see some people throwing out Montrez Harrell. To that, I would say small ball center when he's really a power forward, not a lot of defensive help you're getting there. If you're going to go that way, I would almost just say screw it and sign Hassan Whiteside (laughs) and get another (laughs) shot blocker, a guy who's going to help you in the paint because you have scores. That's a hard pass for me. Fun stuff, though. I asked this question to Robert earlier. If he knew a guy in high school that was this homecoming king or bully that today probably isn't as brash given that he's probably a Wendy's manager, maybe not at a high school reunion, but you follow people on Facebook nowadays. Do we still need the high school reunions anymore if you can still follow everybody on Facebook and see what they're up to now? I think they're still pretty popular just because getting together is totally different than um, 
seeing each other on Facebook. But with that being said, I don't know if I'd attend mine, but I would accept an invitation. The point I'm making, it's not nice to feel this way, but it's perfectly human to think karma. You were a jerk in high school. Look what happened to you now. You hate to see it. That's how I think the football world's looking at Urban Meyer right now. To me, it seems like a large portion of the football world wants to see that guy fail because we have a history with him. A lot of stuff not great when you consider the countless off-field issues at Florida with players, the controversy with the wide receivers coach at Columbus that led to him getting suspended for two games. But as all that happened, not a lot of losing. Nine losses in eight years in Columbus. So there are some people out there who have just been waiting for this opportunity for him to finally get hit, get his and uh, be there enjoying watching it as it happens because he's going to lose in Jacksonville, especially initially. The question is, will he win in the long term? I happen to believe in it. I'm actually rooting for the Jags because it's an interesting story with Urban and Trevor Lawrence, and I happen to like Travis Etienne a lot and other guys on this Jaguar team, how can you really hate the Jacksonville Jaguars? Well, Urban's making it pretty easy for some to hate the Jags. When he brings in this strength coach, he's not really used to being challenged on things. A guy with a terrible background, we're like, why is Urban his first priority to bring this dude in? It lasted one day before he parted ways with that guy. He signed Tim Tebow last week. I didn't have that much of an issue with it. If he makes the 53-man roster, then we could start looking at decisions the Jags made, what, who they prioritized Tebow over. And beyond that, how about this past weekend? Rookie minicamp, a lot of eyes on Urban Meyer running camp for the first time in a long time since he was in college, first in the NFL, and he's putting... His first round running back, Travis Etienne, exclusively at wide receiver. That's led people to say, does this guy know what he's doing? Does he know how things are run in the NFL? Is he going to run it the right way? Fair questions. I, I think Urban's a smart guy. I think he knows what he has in Travis Etienne running the football. So I'm not going to overgrade on that the same way some might have overgraded Cliff Kingsbury going into his first season giving players apparently phone breaks during meetings as if this is high school recess or high school you don't get recess in high school what am I talking about high school lunch it all goes back to high school a large portion of the football world they've been waiting for this Urban didn't lose in college. He's going to lose, especially early on in Jacksonville. Pay attention to those who might be enjoying the Jaguars losing a little bit too much.